Well, it is amazing to look around this room, and this is crazy. So all I'm going to say to start off with is be nice to our parking team on your way out of the parking lot. All right? They love you, and you love Jesus. And you're going to need what I'm talking about, because I'm talking about today, radical renovation. We're going to talk about what's it look like to change. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to be there in just a second. But let me just set up by... By taking you back to something that, that happened a, f- a few months ago, um, I, I sat across from a, a guy at Denny's, and he was sharing with me just the, man, just the tough situation that he was in. And, and in fact, as he was sharing his story of alcohol addiction and, and how it had robbed him of his family, it had robbed him of his marriage, it had robbed him of his career, literally, he said, it's only stolen from me. As we were talking, as he was talking, I should say, he wouldn't even maintain eye contact. In fact, to be honest with you, he told me, he said, I'm still coming off a buzz. You could just feel the shame. The, only, the first time that he looked me in the eyes was when after spilling his story, he looked up at me and looked right in my eyes and said, Pastor, how can I change? He said, I've tried everything. I've tried the programs. I've tried rehab. I've tried accountability partners. I've tried everything. And what I heard in this guy's voice was desperation. How do I change. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to just actually share up here on the platform what I shared with him in a Denny's. I literally wrote it on a napkin. And like, you're like, hey man, that would have been cool. Give out Denny's napkins for sermon guides. That'd be really awesome. Well, here's the deal. You, you know, if you have your, your little message guide there in front of you, um, we're going to be following along. And, and what I'm going to share with you is, is, is what I shared with him. Because I, I get, I'm, I'm just going to, I don't know, I, I'm looking around here. I, I'm going to guess that most of the people in this room, you, you genuinely want to follow Jesus. Right? I mean, you, you do. You, you want to love him more deeply. You want to follow him more closely. You, you genuinely, you want to become like Jesus. But, but maybe, maybe your deal isn't alcohol addiction, or, or maybe it's not even, you know, like porn addiction, drugs, whatever. Maybe it's, it's something else. Maybe it's, it's you've, kind of like a, a friend I was talking to the other night, he was sharing a story of how God's transformed his life, which is amazing. Uh, in fact, by the way, Heath, I'm fired up, dude. That was, that was awesome. Watching, just seeing what God's doing in your life is amazing. But it was kind of like your story. He came to me, he said, he said, listen, he said, it wasn't that I was necessarily running from God, but I wasn't running to God either. And maybe that's you. You, you just, I don't know, you just feel like you're spinning the wheels. I, I've got a message for you, but I, I want to preface, preface it by saying this. My message is going to be primarily for believers, Okay, and so what I mean by that is what, when I talk about, I respond, how do I change? I, I am going to assume that you've had a beginning. And so let me just say this, like, like if you're, you're here and you're an unbeliever, dude, I love, love, love the fact that you're here. Like, dude, come back. You, you know, we're not like this, you can't come. No, I want you to be here. I hope you meet Jesus. Maybe, maybe today's your beginning. But I just, I just want to say this. Like, I'm not going to give you like the four principles to transform your life, go home, and this is going to work. No, there, 
We're gonna assume that you've had a beginning with Jesus, you've, you've turned from your sins and, and, or you've, been, you've stopped trying to earn your way and you've, you've turned to faith in Christ and what he did on the cross. And, and so you started with Jesus, but you just, man, it's, it's like, I don't, I don't see change, okay? So we're gonna assume you have a beginning. Um, what, I, what I did first with, with this guy, I, I went to 2 Peter and, and you're like, you said 1 Thessalonians 5. I know, but let me start here. I'll get to 1 Thessalonians. In, in 2 Peter, uh, Peter says something that I thought was really good. He said in verse three, he said his, he's talking about God, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now I love that because he didn't say he's given you some things, you gotta go look for the other things or if you were raised in a Christian home, he gave you those things, but you weren't raised in a Christian home, not. No, he's like, he's like any of you. If, you. if you've started the journey, he has not withheld out. He hasn't held out on you at all. So, so first of all, there's a good thought. You can write this down. I don't have it in your bulletin or anything. Um, but what that means is that God's not to blame for us not seeing change. He hasn't held out on any of us. Now, there is a, he goes on to say this. For this very reason, he says this in verse five, what reason? Since he's given everything we need for life and godliness. For this very reason, he says to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness, with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And then he says some crazy, verse eight. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I love this because what, what we see here is, is God's done his work. He's not holding out on us at all. But yet at the same time, he, he said, for this reason, make every effort to pursue. Don't, don't pursue these things so that you can like earn God's favor because he's already given us that. So he's not holding out on you. Pursue, because of this, pursue these things. And so let's talk about this today. You know, you know, how do I change? Pastor Keith, how do I change? Well, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this. At the, at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter five, um, the apostle Paul is, is writing to a church uh, in Thessalonica and, and he's given them all kinds of information, uh, you know, just some, some great teaching. He closes out by, by challenging them to a few things. For instance, you know, he, he challenges them to, uh, let me hear a fact, let me just, uh, I have a couple of verses written down here, but I wanna make sure I get the other things. He, he challenges them to love one another. He challenges them to not, uh, you know, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, to admonish the idle. That's a good one, man, I like that. Be patient with them all. He says, see that no one repays evil for evil. Always seek to do good to one another. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give I mean, he has this whole list of, hey, don't forget, don't forget. But then he closes by, by saying this in, in verse 23 and, and, and 24, and just so you know, for the rest of our time, uh, the next few weeks, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 are the launch pad for, for where we're going. Paul wrote this, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love verse 24. Look at this, man. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And so, so Paul had two prayers. And, and, and honestly, this, this I think for, for, any, for any of us, like, ah, oh, man, I, I, I just feel like I'm stuck here. I, how, how do I change? Paul had two prayers. Number one, may the God of peace himself 
sanctify you completely. What, what that means is just may he completely change you through and through and may he bring to completion the work that he started. That's, there's a Greek compound work from where we get that word, word completely and that's really what it means. To, to completely transform and, and, and at one, and really the, in essence, it's kind of like Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's what he's saying. So that's the first prayer. The second prayer was this, that you may be kept blameless, your whole spirit, soul, and body. We're actually going to be focusing spirit, soul, and body over the next few weeks, how, how God transforms holistically who we are. He changes all of us. A lot of us, we only think of, oh, I need to get my heart right with God. Honestly, some of you need to get your body right with God. You know what I'm saying? And so, that, I mean, there's, we are who we are, and God wants to transform all of us. And, and he uses that word blameless. That doesn't mean perfect, Dr. Mike Avery last week, one of the clearest messages I've ever heard on holiness last week. I mean, clear, like I'm not gonna re-preach it. Go back and watch it if you weren't here last Sunday. It was gold, gold. I'm, I'm going back, that's gonna be like on repeat. Like I'm at the gym, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be hitting it on repeat. Is that good? But there's a difference between blameless and perfect. Like we're not gonna be perfect. You're gonna screw up. Like literally look at the person right next to you right now. Just look at him. They're not perfect. And they're looking at you and they're not seeing a perfect person either, okay? So it goes both ways. Blameless, what that means, we don't have to live in rebellion. We don't have to pursue sin. Guess what? Here's the good news that I have for you this morning. We can change. What's that look like though? Well, here's, here's where we're gonna start. Here's where we're gonna start. This, there's this false narrative that says that we change by our willpower. And so when I was talking to the guy, I wrote down the napkin. I said, here's the thing that you keep, uh, I keep hearing. You've been trying to change by your willpower. And there are two things you need to know about willpower. First of all, there is nothing in your body, like, like there's no muscle called willpower. Like you go to the doctor and they're like, hey, man, have you, has your will been bothering you lately? <laughs> Just noticing you don't have much willpower. No, literally, what, what, when it comes to willpower, it's just it's speaking of the human ability to choose. The will is, is, is more like a horse, right? A horse that, that moves, that, that moves in response to the impulses of others. Like my wife and I, uh, several years ago, took this, what we thought was going to be a romantic horseback, horse riding on the beach trip in Mazatlan. And let me just tell you right now, like the brochures make that look so romantic and amazing. Like, so like if you're thinking, oh, that's amazing. Like tomorrow's Valentine's Day. We're going to actually book a trip and go horseback riding on the beach. Don't do it. Like literally, it will hurt your marriage. I promise you it will hurt your marriage. I'm just telling you. All right. So, so here's the deal. They ask, how many of you have ridden a horse before? And like nobody raised their hand. I'm looking around. I'm like, I like, I've ridden one twice. I'm like, and they gave me a horse. That was, like when they talk, like the whole horsepower idea came from a horse, like the horse I was riding. But here was the deal. The horse had a bit in its mouth and it went where I told it to go. Except for some of the times that it didn't. And that's the part that hurts your marriage. But, but here's, here's the thing. The, the, the bit in the mouth literally is, is kind of like this, this whole thing of the will. You see, we're made up, what we just see here, we're made up of spirit, soul, and body. It's interesting to me how they all, how they all work. So, so, so for instance, you know, we, we, we have these thoughts in our minds that, that, that control emotions and emotions speak to our will. And, and many of us, 
part of the reason we can't, our, our emotions are controlling our will and we find ourselves going down roads because our emotions haven't been trained and haven't been given to the Lord. And this is why he's saying, you, we need to be sanctified spirit, soul, and body. Think about the body. That, that influences the will. You don't believe me? Go on, a, go on a long trip with like a five-year-old. Like when they say, I gotta go to the bathroom, Dude, you need to go to the bathroom. Like, they're gonna go. Like, and so it's not like if, it's when. And so, because, you know, the body tells the mind, the mind tells the feelings, the feelings speak to the will. I, I'm just telling you, this is how these things work. And he's saying, all of us, we may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through, spirit, soul, and body. May it be kept blameless. You see, the false narrative is that we change by willpower, but here's what Christ's narrative is. And this is what we're gonna be looking at over the next few weeks. Christ's narrative is this, and I wrote this on the, on the, the little napkin there as I was talking to the guy. We change by indirection. We change by indirection. So here's the deal. Jesus knew how people change. And, and it's interesting to me that a lot of times Jesus used stories to get our attention. And I love that. Jesus, you just think, you know, a farmer went out to, to sow some seed. That's, that was a start to one of his parables. A father had two sons, Luke 15, talking about that. Or uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a mustard seed. Or a city that's set on a hill cannot be... Jesus used visual illustrations. He used... Yeah, I'm a little aside here. I had a guy come to my office one time and he was like, hey, we're leaving the church. I'm like, oh man, I'm sorry, dude. I'm, I hate to hear that. I said, what, what's going on? He's like, you tell too many stories. <laughs> I'm like, oh man. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. He's like, yeah. I said, you just, you're always using illustrations. And he said, you just need to preach the Bible. I said, well, Jesus told stories. He's like, you're not Jesus. And I'm like, okay, touche. I mean, he got me there. Like, it's a good point. But, but no, literally, when I, when I, I like to study how, how teachers teach. They're great teachers. And I've learned that what Jesus knew, we, we have to learn by some of these things. And what I know is that Jesus came to reveal the Father. And he revealed the Father many times through narratives. And what he did through his stories is he revealed who, not only who God was, but he reveals who we are. And what I, what, what I love is that, that, that what we see through the stories of Christ is that we, are, we, we change by indirection. And I said, you, you've been putting this whole thing, you're, you're beating yourself up. You don't have enough willpower. We change by indirection. And so I want you to, I want you to, to listen as we break this, this down today. We change by indirection. If you don't hear anything else, I, my, my big point that I'm gonna talk about uh, is, is this. We do what we can in order to enable us to do what we can't, okay? We do what we can in order to enable us to do what we can't. You're like, that is so confusing. Okay, let me tell a story. <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday, right? I am not gonna tell you who I'm rooting for. I'm not gonna tell you that I lived in Cincinnati for several years. I'm not gonna tell you that... Uh, 
I'm not gonna say who day or anything like that. I, all I'm gonna say, today's Super Bowl story, so let me take you back to my favorite memory because as, as much as I'm not gonna tell you that I'm rooting for the Bengals tonight, uh, I, 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 I'm a Colts fan. I'm, I was raised, born and raised in Indiana, and so 2007, every Colts fan remembers uh, when we went to Miami and we owned the Chicago Bears. So like, if you're a Bears fan, I'm not even sorry. It was amazing. It was just great. And, and, and here's what I didn't know at the time. I heard the story later. Super Bowl was played in Miami, open air stadium. And that year going into the fall of 2006, Peyton Manning, quarterback of the Colts, thought they had a pretty good team and thought that there was a good chance they were gonna go to the Super Bowl. And so at the end of every single practice, knowing that it was going to be played in Miami, that, it was an, that it, uh, there was no canopy, it was open, and that in Miami, in early February, oftentimes they have these February storm sh uh, showers. He practiced, stayed an hour after every practice and had his uh, center, Jeff Saturday, snap footballs that had been sitting in five gallon buckets of water for an hour. He, he would see, uh, Saturday would snap the ball, Peyton Manning dropped back, he had a couple receivers and he would practice throwing a wet football. Did this every single practice for an hour. Now he had no, he just thought they had a good team. He just wanted to be prepared. He had no control over what happened in the season. I mean, other than what he did, but his team showed up. We had a great year that year, went through the playoffs, show up to Super Bowl. He had no control over the, over the fact, uh, over the weather or anything like that. But guess what took place? It rained. In fact, it rained almost the entire game. The story of the game is this. Peyton Manning never fumbled a snap, never threw an interception, had one of the best at least when it came to controlling the football in a terrible situation, one of the best games I've seen him play because I've seen him play some bad games and, and bad and snow. Thank you, Patriots. But um, he, he played an incredible game. We won the game because on the other hand, the Rex Grossman, the other quarterback, which it was Rex Grossman, but the fact is he threw a number of interceptions, fumbled, uh, mishandled several snaps, was obviously not prepared for the elements. Here's the deal. When I say we do what we can in order to enable us to do what we can, what I'm going to be talking about is this. Change is something we can make provision for, though we might not be the source of the change. And what I talk to, when I talk to my, my, my friend sitting across the table and, and he, he's like, how do I change? I said, there are a few things that, that we start with. And I, I just want to share four foundational elements. In fact, if you want to, what I did on the napkin, I drew a triangle. And so... I don't like have a marker board. So if you want to, just for the fun of it, draw a triangle, what you can do at the bottom left hand, uh, you can write down my first point. Well, the first foundational element when it comes to this change that I'm talking about and we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is this. We have to start by changing our stories. And why is that important? It's because we're, we, we have had from birth stories told to us, whether they be family stories cultural stories, religious stories that have shaped our perception of God, shaped our, our perception of ourselves. F from an early age, you learned about life from, from people who were influential in your life. For better or for worse, you learned things. And, and here's, here's the crazy thing. Outside, outside of those narratives, if they're false, interacting with, with the Holy Spirit and with the truth of God's word, there's a good chance you're gonna to go to your grave believing stories that are not true. It's, it's all through scripture. In fact, we, we don't know this, but, but the, the very first message that Jesus preached was repent 
for the kingdom of God is at hand, Matthew chapter three. That word repent literally means a changing of the mind to, to rethink about something. We think repent is like, oh, I gotta go down to an altar and pray. No, it literally means to, to have your mind changed. We have to change our stories. And some of, some of us, the, the, the reason we've bought in, we've been asking questions, who am I? We've been ask, asking what, you know, who can I be? And we haven't let Christ answer those questions. We haven't let the word of God inform that. We, we've allowed all those things around. Things that you even heard as a kid have, in, have informed that. Cultural. Man, I'm gonna tell you right now, I, I was born in Indiana. Indiana's a lot different culturally than Idaho. I'm gonna tell you what, Kentucky's a lot different than Indiana. I'm just telling you, like, like there's, a big, there's a big difference in culture. You, you, you make, you, you learn things. We all come from different church backgrounds or, or no faith backgrounds. And, and we've had people that have informed what we think about God. And I'm gonna tell you, you know what? Part of the reason we can't change is a lot of us have a jacked up idea about who God is. And it has to be transformed. It has to intersect with truth. We change our stories. Man, I'm, I remember, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'll open up. I remember where I was standing at seven years old when a person who, very influential in my life, I was trying to help them out. I was, I, was, I was really excited about helping them out, doing a job, and I did something, and in a moment of frustration, they said, oh, Keith, you're never gonna amount to a hill of beans. I'm gonna tell you right now, if you would've got a branding iron, heat that bad boy up, and tattooed me, there's no way it would've left as deep a mark as those words did. I can still remember where the person was standing, where I was. And the crazy thing was, from, the, from that time forward, it was the weirdest thing. I didn't realize I was running from this, but I kept on trying to prove to everybody and myself that I was not what that person had said. It didn't matter what I did, athletic accomplishments, didn't, ma- didn't matter any awards I won, whatever grades I got, it, I, I was always trying to prove that's not true. But in the back of my mind, there was a story that was there. You're never going to amount to a hill of beans. Was that God's story? That wasn't God's story. That was a story somebody said in frustration. They didn't even mean that. But I heard it. Just like some of you have heard these things. I remember, I was like all, I, I, was, I, I was three classes away from finishing my, my MBA. I was ironing a shirt one morning and I was so, t- I told Laura, I said, I, I don't even know why, I hate, I hate this program. And I was going through it and she's like, why are you even doing it? And it was like God flipped the light on it for the first time. He took me back to me being a seven-year-old kid. And I'm like, oh, I'm still trying as an adult, trying to prove that I'm not this person. You might think this is stupid. I walked away from the degree. Because I said, I'm not going to do this just for the wrong motivation. I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do. I, I say all of this to, to this. Some of you have bought into stories, something a parent said to you in a, in a moment of frustration, something a spouse said in an intense moment of fellowship, and you've never forgot what they said. And you've been trying to prove to yourself and everybody else. Can I tell you that one of the greatest things that we can do when it comes to change, we are made up of, of soul, spirit, and body is we need to submit our stories to the Lord and let God's word inform who we are. I am who you say I am. We change our stories. Secondly, 
Secondly, I would say this, we implement spiritual disciplines. And I'm, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here, but maybe when you hear spiritual disciplines, you're, you're thinking of something other than what, what it is. Spiritual disciplines are not, that, when, I, when I think of that, I'm, I'm talking about like reading the word, prayer, um, fasting, meditating on the word, you know, that, that sort of thing, praying in response to the word. There's spiritual disciplines that are modeled for us all through scripture. But, but a lot of times we get so caught up that I have to do, do, I have to do all of these things. I've got to do this, do this, do this. Spiritual discipline, there's a difference between a spiritual discipline and a legalistic practice. And real quick, let me just break this down because this is important. A legalistic practice, actually, you know what? I'm gonna go to Romans 6. Romans 6 says that we can be slaves to law, slaves to sin, or slaves to righteousness. A slave, a slave to the law is where you think that if you do enough things, you're gonna make God love you. If you do enough good things, God's actually gonna, gonna, gonna change you. He's holding out on you. He's holding back. He's like, let me see what you got. Prove it, prove it. Then we'll, then, then we'll do this. That's, that means you're, you, listen, you're a slave to the law, right? And, and we're not called to be slaves to the law. We're under grace. Now, on the other hand, because you're under grace, there's also a slave to sin. And that's, that's where you, you think because of grace, you have a license to sin. I can do whatever I want. Dude, that's not true. That's nowhere in scripture. That I, I can live however I want. I can do whatever I want to do. Listen to me very clearly. There are no rebels in God's kingdom. We bow the knee. He's not just our savior. He's Lord. Okay. So, so that, there's, a, there's a slave to law, slave to sin. What, what's a slave to righteousness? A slave to righteousness, Mike actually talked a little bit about this last week. It's someone who presents themselves to righteousness and says, I want to serve you. I'm, I'm going to take on these things. That's literally what, this, what, what, what the word is. It's not a means to make God love me more. God's love for you will not be changed on how much time you spend in God's word. He loves you regardless. But we grow and we change in response to these spiritual exercises. Listen, it's meant, it's, it's therapeutic. It's good for the soul. It's good for the body. It's good for the mind. This is, this is why God gives us this. Like I've got a dog, Zoe. Zoe's 10 years old. You know what she does first thing when she gets up in the morning? Stretches. I'm not gonna give you the whole view, but anyway, you know what I'm, you get what I'm going with, right? Okay. So, so Zoe, Zoe spends time stretching. Like if I go to the gym, if I go to the gym and I, I don't stretch, I usually pay for it. I'm getting to that age where I pay for it. You, you, you want to stretch. Literally, this is what spiritual disciplines do. We do these things even when they hurt a little to give us abilities we didn't have before. Now, now you're like, well, it sounds like you're saying that this is gonna bring it about. Hold on. I told you, I told you that it begins it begins with, uh, you know, you, we have to have a start, but this is part of this. So bottom, bottom uh, left-hand corner, right down, we have change of story. It's the top, right down, we have to implement spiritual disciplines. But at the bottom right of the triangle, I want you to write this. We have to participate in Christian community. Because human beings are, really, we were created to be community dwellers. We have the image of God. We, we were made in the image of of a God who exists in community in the eternal trinity. This is the God that, that, that we serve. And you're like, well, it's one thing to have community, but like here in Idaho, we're getting like way too much community right now. Like right now you're sitting close to somebody and you're like, they did not wear deodorant. And it's not, it's not like, it's not a good thing. I get that, okay? So here, here's, you gotta listen to me though. 
When scripture was given to us, scripture was not given to us in the Western, Americanized, individualistic uh, way that we take things. In fact, I think a misconception when it comes to spiritual formation and when it comes to spiritual transformation is that this only happens in our own personal way. Us, it's just me and God. Me and you, it's just me and Jesus. But that's not the case. Like, like when, when the scripture was given, you lived in community. Like when your kids grew up and married and left the house, they didn't leave the house. Like they built another room onto the house. Like some of you are like, oh, that'd be wonderful. And I was like, good Lord, no, no, no. But the, man, community was just part of it. Families stayed together. They lived together. They did things together. They grew together. This is important. And, and, and listen to me, spiritual transformation. I talked to my, my, my friend as we're, as we're sitting there and he's like, why, why do I do to change? I said, I said, tell me about your life. He, he just broke, he said, I am so ashamed of him. I live my life in isolation. I live from hotel room to hotel room to hotel room. He said, it's, it's cost me everything. I said, you need to be with people. You need to be with godly people. Now that, that, is, that is key. Right? Like, like some of you are like, well, I'm around people, but I don't see much change. Well, you're around the wrong people. Like Pastor Matt said a little while ago, uh, a, few, a few months ago, he said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. True. Like so, so, some of you right now, part of your change is submitting your friend group to Jesus. Get some, get some friends. Like, like you're like, well, I'm an evangelist. I, mean, I don't want to share the, share the light. Well, dude, I'm going to tell you right now, if they're sharing more light or darkness in your world than you are light in theirs, get a new group. I feel like I need to take a second offering for that line. That was good. I like that a lot. That was good. But no, as you participate in a group, it allows the influence of others. Man, there's something powerful that spurs us on and encourages us. You know, I'll give you an example of this. Um, when, uh, it was several years ago. Nate Morris, Nate Morris, I'm blaming him, talked me into going to CrossFit. And Nate and I went to CrossFit and they, did, they have this part of CrossFit. Like every morning it was like 5.30 or whatever it was, 6.30, I can't remember when it was. And they have, if, you, if you're not familiar with, with, with CrossFit, it's like, you know, everybody works out together, but they have this first part called on-ramp where that just like gets you to the place where you go hang with the big kids. Like say like kindergarten for that. And, and like, it killed me. Like, like, every, like halfway through the workout, I'm going to go throw up. I mean, that's how bad it was. And Nate's like, no, you gotta keep coming back. You gotta keep coming back. And so I kept coming back. Well, finally, after like a month or two, they, they move us up to, you know, you're, you're in the main group. And here, if, if you're unfamiliar, here's how, here's how CrossFit goes. You walk in, they have, you know, chalkboard or a, a whiteboard and it tells you what your workout of the day is. And everybody does the same workout. Like you, you don't know till you, you show up, here's what, our, here, you know, here's what we're doing. Everybody does it together. Now, depending on your strength and where you're at, you either scale up or scale down. So one particular day we walk in there and the workout of the day, this was shortly after I'd started, it involved these, uh, these swinging chin-ups. And I'm like, dude, I'm gonna die. Like I, I like walked in and wanted to walk out the door. If Nate hadn't been there, I would have left. And, and I'm like, I, I just can't do it. I have zero, like zero upper body strength. I, I like have Gumby arms. Well, it just, it just stretches all the way down. It doesn't go back up. And so, so like, I, I'm like, okay, we're going to scale up. And I get, I get one of those, those uh, exercise bands to like help me out. 
and, and so, so you know, they, they, they set the timer, start the music, everybody's doing the thing. So the first part I was good, the very last thing we had to do were these stupid chin-ups. And so I, I go over there and I start going, and even with this exercise band, church, I feel like a moron. I'm like, you know, trying to get my chin above. And here was the deal, it got to the place, I was the last person. Everybody else had finished their workouts. If, you don't, if you've never been in that position, that's humiliating. Except what was so cool was not a single person went over and started putting stuff away or picking up stuff. Slowly but surely as they finished, every person came and sit around me. If it had been just me, you know what I'd done? I'd have cheated and like did my quick count, like I think we're good, and walked away. <laughs> no, no. Every single person, when they finished, came and said, come on, you got this, let's go, let's go, you got this, go, go. And dude, I'm mad at myself and humiliated, but I kept going. Come on, you got this. Literally, I finally, at that time, I had like 13 people around saying, don't give up, don't quit, you've got this, and I finished. And I thought to myself, why shouldn't that be the church? Instead of saying, oh man, I'm really concerned about that person. I'm gonna go pray for them. Now listen, you go pray for them, but instead of talking to somebody else how concerned you are, how about you go stand by them and say, don't give up. You've got this. You can do this. Let me show you. We're in this together. Let's go. What if CrossFit culture was church culture? You know what it would do? It would transform us because, listen, change happens in the context of community. Spirit, soul, body, we're transformed. I, I actually wrote this down. I told, I told the guy, I said, man, I said, big thing for you. You need community. You need to change. I love Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Everybody quotes Hebrews 10, 25. We should, we should not neglect to meet together, but you cannot divorce it from, from verse 24. The reason we meet together is to encourage one another and stir up each other to good works. That's why it's important we gather. That's why it's important we're together. Change will happen as we participate. I gotta land this plane. Here, here's the deal. We've got, the, we've got the triangle. Four components. You get the first three. Bottom left, change the stories. Top, implement spiritual disciplines. Bottom right, change in the context of, of community. But guys, what I, want you, what I did for this, guys, what I want you to do in the middle of that triangle, I want you to write this. I want you to write Holy Spirit. Because this is most important. And I, I left this for last. And this is, where, this is setting us up for where we're gonna go next week. We recognize the Holy Spirit as the agent of transformation. We commit ourselves to this. Man, for this very reason, pursue all of these different things. That's, that's, that's what we do. But it's not our efforts. It's the Holy Spirit. You know, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26, there's this whole, there's this whole list of, 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 you know, love, joy. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Peace. It's like, oh, I want that. Well, you know what the difference is between, between fruit and results? Results can be produced in a factory. Fruit can only be produced by God. Now, we make provision for fruit. 
You know, if, you're, if a farmer's going to reap a harvest, he'll plant a seed. He'll make provision for it to be watered, fertilized, make sure that the things are taken care of. But at the end of the day, it has to be God who brings life out of the, that seed dying and the, the, the fruit comes. Listen to me, the same thing is true in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the agent of transformation and he produces fruit. We do what we can to enable us to do what we can't, but the person who ultimately makes the impossible possible is God, the Holy Spirit. How does he do this? I love this. The Holy Spirit, when it comes to our stories, he replaces our stories with God's stories. He takes us back. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. We need the truth. Without the truth, we're gonna believe, we're, we're gonna believe these, these false stories. We, we have to come back to what God says. The Holy Spirit, even when it comes to our spiritual disciplines, comes alongside us, within us, around us, as we engage in these spiritual exercises. You can read your Bible to your blue in the face without the Holy Spirit. You'll know a lot of things about God, but you won't necessarily know God. It's the Holy Spirit that does this, that he allows us to come to a place of intimacy. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us, even gives us the gifts and the graces meant to be used for the benefit of each other in Christian community so we can grow, so we can encounter transformation. When we gather together, the Holy Spirit is at work again. And church, I believe that he's at work even now. How do I change? Pastor, how do I change? Oh, there are things that we're part of, but at the end of the day, it begins with the Holy Spirit. He's the agent of transformation. But what I love is the Holy Spirit works with us. This past week, it's already been alluded to, we had our staff retreat. And I'm telling you, Tuesday night, it was just a unique move of God. We didn't even want to leave the room that, that night. Dr. Dr. Avery had, had, had walked us through uh, just, just a few sessions on unpacking what it, what it means to, to grow in Christ-likeness and and I, the, the honesty and the vulnerability of, of, of our team as we were praying together and, and talking and in response to this, just God was moving powerfully. But the thing that many of us referenced was something that stood out to me, and I'm not gonna share it exactly the same way. And by the way, I already told Mike, I said, you gotta come back in the fall, because uh, I said, I want our entire church experience and to, to go through what you, what you broke down for us up here, this was awesome. And he's, so he's gonna, we're trying to make it happen this fall, but he told a story. In fact, I think we got a picture. Th throw the picture up here. He, he was in Columbia, South Carolina, and this particular officer and his dog came to make a presentation at a school that he was speaking at. And the uh, canine officer, the canine officer was, was explaining to some of the students what he does and why it's important. And, and uh, he was talking specifically about his dog. He said, my dog is, is, is not instinctively trained to be a police officer. He said, my, my dog's instinct is to chase cats, which I'm fine with that. Um, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. Anyway, no. Um, he, said, he, said, he said, you know, he said, in fact, when, uh, when we're trying to apprehend, they did a lot of drug work, uh, you know, drug dealers or whatever. He said, many times they'll try to distract the dog by throwing something out. And he said, always, he said, my dog, uh, my dog will look to me for his ears will go up and he'll look to me to see whether I give him permission 
to chase that. And if he doesn't, he just keeps on, he's, he's, he's focused. But he said, that's not, his in, that's not his instinct. He said his instinct is, if he sees a steak, to go to that steak and eat that, eat that steak. He said, and he said, it's happened before. As we're, as, we're chasing, uh, as we're chasing someone, trying to apprehend them, they'll actually throw out meat or something like that to try to distract the dog. And he said, the dog, his ears will go up, and he looks at me, and if I gave him a command, he said he'd eat it right away, but I'll give him a command so he stays on track. He said, the dog's instinct is to be a dog, not to be a police officer. But he said, that dog has been trained We've spent a lot of time together. And he said, now the dog listens for my voice and the dog responds to my voice. And if you know anything about a canine, uh, canine officer and their dog, they, they don't view the dog just as a dog. It's, it's, it's part of the family. And he even made the, he, he made the statement that the dog operates not from instinct, but from intimacy. He knows the voice of his trainer. Now, what I've been talking about this morning, the whole thing of changing your stories, spiritual disciplines, doing this in the context of community, that's all part of training to do two things. Number one, to get to know the trainer and to be able to distinguish and recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. Many of us, have not been changed because we're really not sure what God's called us to and we're not sure where to start, but we don't, we don't even know his voice. We haven't even started the training process. What I want for us, church, is for us to move from living by instinct to living from a place of intimacy because that is what ultimately will change us. Paul prayed for the church. I pray, first of all, that you be sanctified through and through, that he who begins that good work, well, that, that he'll complete that. But I also pray that your spirit, your soul, and body be presented blameless. And I want you to, just, just like I told my, my friend at Denny's, is the same thing I'm telling you here this morning. Your past does not determine what God can do in changing you in the future he's gonna give you. What you're presently going through, the present situation in which you find yourself is not the end of the story. The reality is God's not held out. He hasn't held one thing out on you. He's given you everything you need for life and for godliness. But for this very reason, make every effort to pursue. You know, in John chapter one, he, he records at the end of the chapter, it's pretty cool, the calling of, of the first two disciples. And there were two guys, they were following John the Baptist and John said, you need, when he saw Jesus, he said, you need to follow that guy. And so they start shadowing Jesus. When Jesus sees that they're behind him, he turns to them and he asks them, it's just a simple question. He said, what are you looking for? I like that question. That's, that's a good question. And I, I actually asked my friend that question when we were sitting there. I said, bro, tell me, you, you say you want change, but really, what are you looking for? It's funny because when Jesus asked that question, the disciples said, Rabbi, where do you live? And you're like, dude, they totally missed this question. They totally like, just ignored this question. He said, what are you looking for? They're like, Rabbi, where are you staying? But actually, Jesus knew what they meant. What they were saying was this. Jesus said, what are you looking for? They said, where are you staying? And that's what they were saying, we're looking for you. 
Because what we read in the rest of John, they, they never stopped following Jesus from that point forward. In fact, those two guys later gave their life for Jesus Christ. They served him to death. And when they said, where are you staying? They said, we're coming to where you are. Until you make us go, we're not leaving. And I think that many of us have spent more time chasing change than we have chasing Jesus. And church, this is why I say it has to start with a beginning. If we chase Jesus and we pursue Jesus and what I've been talking about, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, that is this transforming work in making us tomorrow who we're not today. And so as I close, I'm gonna pray and first person I'm gonna pray for is a person that's never had that beginning. If this is you, I'm praying that you'll, you'll, you'll respond to this, this invitation. If you've never started following Jesus, it just starts by saying, God, you might even know what it looks like. Say, I, I just know that I've been living for myself and I wanna live for you. Just let God, just let God have it. Say, I, I trust what Christ did on the cross. I don't even have it all figured out, but I know that I can't change me. You're the only one. And let, that's where it's gonna start. I'm also gonna pray for the person that you're spinning your wheels. How do I change? I'm gonna pray for you because I believe that God, as we submit to his word and we follow, wants to sanctify you through and through in the work that he started. He's gonna finish one day, but he's gonna work that out even now. And so, Father, I want to thank you for what you've done this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to speak. God, if there's somebody here that's never started the journey, I'm praying that in this moment, if that's them, to God, that they would they just say, I can't change me. Lord, would you save me from my sins? I, I, need, I, need, I, I need this. I can't do this for myself. I trust you. I trust what Jesus did on the cross. And I don't even know what it fully means, but I'm gonna take the step. God, I'm asking you to save me, to change me right now. God, if that's if somebody's prayed that prayer, I believe you're gonna do something with them. And you've, you've saved them. And that's an eternal saving that you've done. God, maybe there's somebody here today, and there probably is several people, I need to change. And God, I'm just praying that right now they would present themselves. They just literally, kind of like Paul said in Romans 12, present themselves a living sacrifice. Say, God, you can have me. But God, I, wanna, I want my stories to align with your stories. I want to I, I submit myself to this, but I'm, I'm just going to change indirectly. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to agree with him and I'm going to work and, and do my part. But ultimately, I'm putting my trust in you. God, I pray that you begin to work transform us. And I just want to say thank you for what you're going to do, for what you've done here today. So Lord, we've celebrated with the baptism. I pray that we have more baptisms come because of what took place here even today. So for what you're going to do in your people, we thank you for this. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Hey, listen, before you leave, I always like to do this. If there's anybody, we're not one of these things, like if I've decided to follow Jesus, let's, let's go public. Like if today was, it was a, a new day for you and uh, you, you, you prayed a prayer to, to, to receive Christ and you trusted in Christ for salvation, would you just stand? Because I want to celebrate what God's done. Is there anybody this morning that, that prayed a prayer like that? Because if so, I'd just like to be able to celebrate that. All right, all right. I won't talk anybody into it. That's not what we do here because if I can talk you into it, somebody can talk you out of it. But if it's God, I always want to give that thing. Okay, so here's the deal. You saw what next steps look like. If you haven't taken the next step of baptism, let us know. We would love to celebrate God's life in you. 
go in peace knowing that God is with you, God is for you, and God is changing you. And go Bengals. We'll see you next week.